Coming up on Transformers University, we've talked a little bit about the G.I. Joe-related Easter eggs in the Transformers cartoon. We've talked about the history and how the Transformers toy line and the G.I. Joe toy line are intertwined. But now, we'll talk about the first full-fledged crossover between the robots in disguise and the real American heroes right now on Transformers University. Hello my friend and welcome to Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucali, owner, operator, Madman, behind TFU.info, the website, this podcast, TFU News and Views, the YouTube channel, the social media, and everything TFU.info related. I want to welcome you to episode 82, 82, 82, 82. of Transformers University. 246 total. Good change. Right now, uh, if you're listening to this when it's released, you're probably in some sort of stay-at-home order uh, like I am and like how most of the United States and the world is right now. And I just hope uh, this show finds you well, uh, finds you and your family well, and is a good distraction from all that is going on. And I hope you stay safe and always wash your hands. Now, before we get into the show, I do want to give a quick shout-out to our newest patron uh, at the freshman level longtime Transformers fan Dave Van Domlin now if you're not familiar with Dave Van Domlin's work uh, in the Transformers fan community he was basically the original online toy reviewer uh, he had the best reviews on alt.toys.transformers and uh, before there was YouTube before uh, basically any other platform, uh, there were DVDs reviews on ATT, uh, and neither of those acronyms stand for what you usually think they do. So I just want to welcome Dave. I'm so glad he is joined our Patreon over at patreon.com slash tfuinfo. And normally I, this is where I would pitch you on joining the Patreon, but I'm not going to do that right now. Uh, uh, the world is a very crazy and weird place right now. And now is not the time for sales. Now is simply the time to get through this together. And I hope this show helps you get through your day and through your time a little easier. Now, let's talk a little bit about crossovers. Transformers, as a brand, has had many, many, many crossovers through the years. Uh, they've crossed over with just about every major science fiction and uh, action brand uh, that isn't a direct competitor to Hasbro pretty much regularly throughout Transformers history. Uh, and that includes sometimes just in toy forms, sometimes just in uh, comic form, sometimes in both. From the animation perspective, they haven't really crossed over other than uh, the few Easter eggs we've pointed out in season uh, three and, and some in season two of characters that carry over between G.I. Joe and Jem and Transformers. But there really have been so many properties that Transformers has crossed over with. They've crossed over with Star Wars uh, in, in toy form uh, in two different uh, instances that I can think of, the crossovers toy line and uh, a tactics, which was a, a game line they've crossed over with star trek in uh one of the more recent uh, idw miniseries comics they're currently crossing over with terminator in the idw miniseries comics they've never really crossed over with teenage mutant ninja turtles directly though there have been a couple of idw series that 
um, span storylines to interweave with their licensed properties, usually with another licensed property, say X-Files or Mars Attacks, both of which have trans uh, crossed over with Transformers. They've also crossed over with Marvel in toy form and in the comics uh, originally, like we've mentioned before, and um, as being initially part of the Marvel Universe. And then uh, later on, they will uh, meet up with the new Avengers at some point in the uh, early 2000s. And of course, they've crossed over with Animorphs. Uh, they've crossed over with GoBots eventually when Hasbro bought uh, bought out Tonka, and they've crossed over with a lot of the current Hasbro brands, things that weren't necessarily part of Hasbro when they launched. For example, Mask, which was owned by Kenner, which was eventually bought out by Hasbro. Um, Visionaries, Action Man, Micronauts, uh, Rom the Space Knight. These are all things that have crossed over with Transformers, and I'm sure I'm leaving some out, but just to show you that the Breath and scope. Did I say Animorphs? Because if I didn't say Animorphs, that's one we're going to have to get into at some point. Uh, so just put that on your radar. You know, the strange thing is, is that they've never crossed over with uh, DC's brands, which are generally usually Mattel's brands as well. But they've never crossed over with DC superheroes. They've never crossed over with Batman or Superman. Um, and they've never crossed over with, you know, Masters of the Universe or Thundercats. Those are ones I certainly would like to see. I think some more logical ones they've never crossed over with at this point, as I'm recording this, is uh, they did do the Ghostbusters one last year, but uh, Knight Rider seems like an obvious one. Back to the Future seems like an obvious one. Uh, hey, I'll take a, uh, personally, <laughs> I'll take a Quantum Leap crossover. Can we get that to happen? Or Star, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine crossover. Uh, those are ones I would like to see. Those are a little probably too niche to actually pull off. Uh, you know, that's like asking for a Teen Wolf crossover, really. Uh, or as uh, Brian Kilby over at Radio Free Cybertron really wants to do a Sanford and Son crossover. Which, if you go all the way back to episode four of this show, meet the uh, cast of season one. Uh, I do have a clip of Scatman Crothers, the voice of Jazz. And his guest appearance on Sanford and Son. So I'm talking about. Now, with all that in mind, the one continual crossover between Transformers and another uh, brand is most definitely G.I. Joe. As I've mentioned in the, the intro, you know, it goes back to the early days of the toy line. You've seen that on the toys that made us over on Netflix. It goes back to the cartoon, as we've mentioned, uh, things like Marissa Fairborn probably being uh, Duke and Lady J's daughter, uh, which eventually will get confirmed. Uh, and then it goes to this series here that we're going to talk about, G.I. Joe and the Transformers from Marvel, uh, four issue limited series but you know this actually continues on for years to come every time somebody gets the Transformers license uh, this happens again um, when we get into generation 2 before uh, Marvel uh, let go of the Transformers and G.I. Joe licenses there was another crossover before the generation 2 comic launched it pre-launched within the pages of G.I. Joe 
later on, Dreamwave would have the Transformers comic license, and a company called Devil's Due would have the G.I. Joe license, and they would do multiple G.I. Joe Transformers crossovers uh, simultaneously, on, on, actually, uh, and, and do sequels to those crossovers as well. And then IDW would do it with their combined universe and with uh, such great books as Revolutionaries. Uh, if you didn't read IDW's Revolutionaries, where that was kind of an amalgamation of various Hasbro brands and uh, the G.I. Joe book at that time, too, both of them were really good. Um, I'm trying to remember which one had Skywarp as a member of G.I. Joe, but oh man, it was so cool. I think that was Revolutionaries, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but hey, feel free to correct me at TFU underscore info on Twitter. It's been a while. My brain uh, isn't necessarily working properly when it comes to remembering some of those IDW books. But that's part of why I do this show, because eventually we'll get there. and I'll get to re-experience all those stories and you'll get to take that ride with me. Now, let's re-experience some of these stories and just... You know, some of my memories of this book, before we even get into what was in it in this Fortune miniseries, I remember a couple things. One, I remember being disappointed with it after reading it. And we'll get into that as we wrap up, I think, uh, how I feel about it now. But I remember the first time reading it, thinking it wasn't what I expected and it wasn't what I necessarily wanted. And this is probably, you know, 10-year-old me. The other thing I remember, uh, I remember my older cousin kind of telling me what happens in this first issue um, about a certain major character getting killed. And I think that drove me to want to read the series because it was it was certainly not something I expected. And it's kind of presented here on the cover of issue one, which is called Blood on the Tracks. Now, another interesting note about this series, this storyline didn't appear in the Marvel UK run until issue 265 through 281 and that's all the way four years in the future from where we're covering in 1990 uh, and it was presented as an alternate continuity it was not presented as part of that UK mainline continuity now in issue one of blood on the tracks this one is written by Michael Higgins who you may remember as the letterer all the way back in Transformers issue number one. Art by Herb Trimpey, inks by Vince Coletta. Letters, we got a newcomer to Transformers with Joe Rosen. He was a longtime letterer for Marvel and DC. He lettered Secret Wars number eight and Amazing Spider-Man 252, which were the earliest appearances of the black costume. And personal favorite of mine, he was the letterer on Incredible Hulk. 377. That is the one where the Gray Hulk and the Green Hulk become uh, the smart 24-hour Green Hulk, where he's basically, he's all of them combined into one body and never changes. Uh, that has some great, great artwork by Dale Keown. Is that how you say it? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to default to you, Internet, to tell me how to say that properly. And sadly, Joe Rosen passed away in 2009. Colors on this book, of course, by Nelly Abdov. And edits on this one. Combined team of Bob Harris and Don Daly. Now, Don Daly is the regular Transformers editor. And in this crossover, Bob Harris was the G.I. Joe editor. Uh, he was a longtime writer and editor at Marvel. Would become editor-in-chief in the mid-90s. 
Now, issue one starts out in Seattle, Washington, where a protest at a solar nuclear power station is occurring. Not exactly how solar nuclear power works, but there is an item here called Power Station Alpha, and it's being guarded by the Joes, and this is our MacGuffin for the next four issues. General Hawk arrives with a motorcade, uh, including Senator Barbara Larkin. Hey, how you doing? My name's Barry Lincoln. And it's clear these two are not working out. They are flirting. No, they were doing a military press. At the Ark, Optimus sends Bumblebee to inspect and guard this power station, and Bumblebee is kind of bummed with this kind of crap job duty. Uh, at the protest, the Dreadnoughts are bored and decide to raid the power station. They quickly realize they're overmatched and barter and escape with a human shield. On Cobra Island, Cobra Commander is not happy because he is watching this, watching the stupid Dreadnoughts uh, give away the fact that Cobra is interested in Power Station Alpha. At Decepticon headquarters, Megatron also sees the news. Everyone's watching the news. It's like they're, uh, you know... Understay-at-home orders, I guess. <laughs> uh, and he sends Bombshell and Dirge to the power station. Now, back at the power station, the uh, Alpha unit transforms uh, from this weird station thing into a jet-shaped thing. And Bombshell arrives and sees a little boy. Not a little boy. I guess he's a young boy uh, playing with Junkyard, the G.I. Joe dog. And decides he's going to uh, fire a Cerebro shell into this little kid's noggin. This little kid is named Anthony Durante. And he is there with his mom. Anthony! With the Cerebro shell implanted, he sends Anthony towards Power Station Alpha. Bumblebee sees this, radios the arc, and Optimus sends in the aerial bots. Back at Alpha, Anthony is about to be run over by the rolling power station Alpha. Bumblebee transforms into robot mode to rescue him and does so and drops Anthony off with his mom as Snake Eyes swoops in and uh, takes over the controls of the power station and shuts down the machine. Just then, the Joes draw their weapons on Bumblebee, not knowing him and not knowing what he is up to. And... Not wanting to risk Power Station Alpha, they blow him up, just as depicted on the cover and just as ruined for me by my cousin. And just as they do this, Bombshell infiltrates Power Station Alpha as Superion arrives. The end. So we end with Bumblebee in pieces, presumably dead, and Superion on sight, not happy. And that takes us to issue number two, Power Struggle. Now, the the creative team will stay the same and on the interior of the books for the entire run. We will talk a little bit about cover artists in issues three and four, but issue two, it's all the same folks as issue one, and it starts with the Joes attack on Superion. And the Joes, they're having no luck uh, with Superion. He is just too powerful. He's not attacking back, but he is uh, being fired on by the Joes, but leaves quickly after Blaster radios him with news of Optimus Prime's, quote, assassination. It's not what assassination means. But uh, Optimus Prime had died in issue 24, which we covered last episode of this program. And in the aftermath, Hawk assigns Mainframe the task of taking all of Bumblebee's leftover parts and inspecting them. Hawk then goes to visit Senator Larkin Very at the hotel. The Decepticon still spying 
watch Power Station Alpha and reveal that Bombshell has control of it with a Cerebro shell. Cobra is watching too as it flies off into the air. And this happens on a page where Hawk and Larkin uh, feel the blast off in some not so subtle symbolism. They are definitely not working out. No, they were doing leg squats. Back at Cobra headquarters, Dr. Mindbender uses his a control helmet to reach out to Power Station Alpha and overtake it, overriding Bombshell's Cerebro shell. The Joes, they take to the air and decide to give chase to the Power Station. Now, at a farmhouse in Washington, Anthony Durante, the little boy who had a Cerebro shell implanted in his head, all of a sudden has brown hair. He was blonde in the last issue. And uh, is kind of catatonic. And he's sitting in his bedroom playing with his Bumblebee action figure. That's a little meta for me, but let's just say it's a toy that kind of looks like Bumblebee. Now, this air battle will ensue over Power Station Alpha, and nearby the air battle is a yacht that belongs to and contains the Autobot's human friend, GB Blackrock. Cobra decides to threaten the yacht in order to get leverage on the Joes and commandeer Power Station Alpha. As the Cobras fly away and the Joes tend to the folks on the yacht, Dirge is in the air following the Cobras. Joes rescue the yacht passengers, and GB Blackrock clues them in to the battle between the Autobots and the Decepticons. Back on Cobra Island, Power Station Alpha arrives, and so do Dirge and Bombshell with an offer for Sepentor. At the hospital, doctors find the Cerebro Shell in brown-haired Anthony's brain, and uh, they need to remove it. We cut back to Decepticon headquarters where Shockwave and company are planning a betrayal of Cobra. What they don't know is that Dr. Mindbender planted a listening device on Dirge and is hearing the whole thing. And that wraps up issue two of G.I. Joe and the Transformers. Now that takes us to issue number three. As I mentioned before, the interior creative team, all the same, but this one features a cover by Al Milgram. Al Milgram was a co-creator at DC of the character Firestorm, along with uh, Jerry Conway, who wrote a number of uh, G1 episodes. I think we covered one a little ways back on Season 3. Milgram was a longtime writer, penciler, anchor for Marvel. Among his accomplishments, he was the penciler on West Coast Avengers Ongoing, which he worked on from issue number one all the way to issue number 37. I'm 37? And issues 39 and 40. For more on this story, Ashes Ashes is the title, we're going to toss it over to my favorite shipwrecked sailor, the one, the only, Gabriel Owens, the Salty Sea Man. Hey folks. Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman here, uh, reviewing G.I. Joe versus Transformers number three. This was the first issue I had as a kid of the series. Uh, it'd be many, many years before I even read the first two. Uh, so I jumped into this late. I believe I read this not too long after I read the uh, previous issue of Transformers. I uh, just reviewed uh, on a TFU not too long ago from this. Uh, 
where uh, Megatron fought the Predacons, and there was a mention, Shockwave mentions of telling Cobra, hey, we're moving our base of operations. I think that was my first clue. It was like, oh, they're doing something with G.I. Joe. Makes sense. They're both Hasbro properties. They're both at Marvel Comics. So I thought that was cool. Then I finally saw this issue. So this will be, uh, yeah, kind of jumped in the middle of this, uh, which I'll be doing again here. I don't remember the plot line to the Joe uh, Transformer crossover. I do know a uh, disturbing image of Bumblebee to be found in here. So uh, let's go and uh, review G.I. Joe and the Transformers number three. Uh, I really like the cover. Uh, you know, we've got Shockwave uh, being the puppet master here. we got Mindbender, and I think that's supposed to be Duke. And Omega Supreme... And uh, one of the Coneheads, weirdly colored, uh, Baroness, and I think that's Blaster down at the bottom, and Serpentor. Uh, very cool cover. Uh, I, I definitely uh, remember this, uh, reading this issue a lot as a kid. You know, those issues, some, of those, some of those covers stick out. So we get a little bit of exposition here on what uh, Shockwave and the Decepticons are planning to do with this Alpha device. This is a very much a uh, G1 cartoon uh, plot of the week, or a Joe cartoon plot of the week, actually. So uh, and I'm, I'm guessing this is filling us in on what happened in the issue of uh, Transformers I just talked about, where Megatron, uh, leadership to Megatron and Shockwave switches. And uh, what happened there. So, uh, pretty interesting. Uh, we get, uh, you know, the, the, they're trying to keep in continuity with what's going on at the moment in their respective comics. Uh, we get what I believe is a continuity error here with Ravage uh, talking here to Shockwave. I believe at this point he should be in a, uh, a ditch not to be seen again until... Uh, you know, much much later, uh, we get a we get our meeting between Cobra and uh, the Decepticons, and uh, yeah, the the, the le leaderships have uh, changed here uh, in both comics. Uh, the Serpentor is now leading the uh, leading Cobra, and I believe Cobra Commander is MIA at this point, assumed dead. And of course, Shockwave has just taken over from Megatron. And I get one of my uh, remember one of my favorite bit of dialogue when, when we got a, a great little. Uh, scene here of Shockwave bending over and shaking hands with Serpentor. I think that was, that's some. I like that art. I think it's well drawn. Uh, it's a great striking visual. And we get the uh, Dreadnoughts, you know, talking about you know what their impression of the Decepticons. And one of them says, you know, you know, look the size of them ears or whatever they are, which you know just brings up the question of you know, like what are they? I mean, we assume they're ears because where they're on his head, but he's a robot, doesn't need ears. Uh, so. Fun stuff like that, I you know, I, I really remember from this uh, comic as a kid. So we kind of get a uh, little back and forth tete-a-tete uh, -tete with uh, Cobra and the Decepticons as both are planning to double-cross the other one at the earliest opportunity. So they end up, uh, you know, kind of basically exchanging hostages here, or emissaries as they say. Dirge going to uh, Cobra, which will lead to a moment with Dirge, which I... I don't know if we're counting down the number of times Dirge dies, but a spoiler alert that's coming up. Uh, we also have, uh, you know, Dr. Mindbender going to the Decepticons uh, and everyone, you know, kind of thinking about what their own plans are. 
uh, basically showing these are a bunch of evil, evil dudes, and uh, you know they, sh- you know they can't trust each other, and will probably fall apart. But uh, Shockwave does convince uh, Serpentor to lead an attack on the Ark with his Cobra forces, along with Dirge. So at the moment in gamesmanship, uh, Shockwave is up. So we cut to the Joe headquarters. Uh, they're meeting with a good old GBA Blackrock from uh, Transformers. You know, they're, they're human liaison, the oil magnet. Uh, he is explaining the concept of Transformers, who apparently existed all along with G.I. Joe at the same time. And the Joes are flabbergasted to have uh, heard the concept of these giant robots, you know, who over the course of, I believe it's about a year in comic time, have, uh, you know, I, I would say left quite an impression on the world. It's kind of surprising G.I. Joe is just now learning about this, especially as the highly rated, uh, you know, super, super uh, special operations force, you know, I think would be briefed on it as something they might have to tackle at some point. So, uh, yeah, and besides that, you know, we see like, you know, they've, in a previous issue, had blown up a Bumblebee. We see his parts scattered around here. It's really kind of sad looking. Uh, Blackrock says he's dead. They say, well, well, how do we know? You know, this is alien technology. And if that's the right word for it, you know, part of, you know, Transformers biology, it's always been, you know, is it just gears and levers? Is it more than that? Is it not quite, you know, it's always been kind of a weird thing when you're talking about sentient robots. But regardless, uh, you know, they're not quite ready to give up. Uh, Bumblebee is dead. And then we cut to uh, a recap of the funeral for a friend. The uh, Autobots sending off uh, Optimus Prime into space. They were showing us the uh, is that all these crazy changes are going on in these kind of the comics, are like all at the same time, and they're trying to do a crossover. Uh, but that that always happens in Marvel comics anyway. So uh, I think they're pretty used to it. But we get a recap of what happens to Prime, and I believe the the dialogue here is is different than what it was in the comic, the Transformer comic version of this. So we get a lot of crossing uh, plot lines here. Uh, moving, uh, jump, jumping really quick. We have uh, uh, we have Hawk coming into uh, an emergency meeting at the Pentagon. He wants to meet up with his uh, uh, his girlfriend or want to be girlfriend, Senator Larkin. Says, you know, this is the woman for me. I want to date her. We cut to a. Uh, Mrs. Durante, her son, is going in for some uh, kind of uh, really advanced surgery. I remember reading this kid, like, this, this is all very confusing. I have no backstory on any of this. Like, and I was reading Joe and Transformers at the time. So some of this was just like, what? What, what are they talking about? And then we, we cut to uh, the said senator. She's off to a meeting avoiding some uh, questions about a nuclear disaster with the whole Alpha thing. Moved to her having a lunch. It ends up being the Baroness, although they, they kind of hide it uh, for the first couple of pages. She's basically being blackmailed by Cobra. And what looks like to be a reporter is trailing her and has got all the dirt he needs on her. And we cut back to uh, what's going on at the Ark because remember the Cobra was going to... Uh, uh, take a shot at take take a shot at the Ark for the uh, Decepticons, kind of prove their loyalty to them, I suppose. So now we get to that part of the comic. So the Cobra attack on the Ark goes about as well as you'd expect. 
which is always why this is kind of a weird, you know, how they try to, uh, you know, even the playing field here when, you know, pretty much established uh, as high tech as Joe and Cobra are for normal technology. They're not in the Transformers League. And uh, yeah, Serpentor's forces start taking a pummeling. And uh, now we cut to back to the Pentagon and seeing what the uh, mission with Hawk was all about. So it turns out uh, the person following uh, the uh, senator was uh, Agent Khrushchev, who uh, you know shows uh, Hawk damning evidence of uh, his lady to be uh, canoodling with uh, the Baroness. He can't believe it. Uh, and more and more arguing over the uh, the MacGuffin here, the uh, the Alpha device. We have a cut back to the uh, fight between Cobra and the Ark. Still going really badly for Cobra, but now uh, Serpentor is challenging uh, Dirge's uh, Robo Balls here. It's like, uh, it's like, hey, I don't see you jumping into the fight either. So it's like, well, that's because I was just waiting to do it now. And you know, typical Serpentor, he takes off, so Dirge follows. And we cut to the young boy who uh, had a Cerebro shell implanted in him. I totally forgot about this plot line, part of the plot line in the story. And definitely when I read it uh, originally, it made no sense. I'm like, okay, I definitely missed a story here. But the uh, doctor manages to pull it out of the kid's head. As he's touching it, uh, Dr. Mymander witnesses Bombshell reacting to the Cerebro shell being poked at uh, some thousands of miles away. Okay. So we'll cut back to the Joes, uh, who uh, mainframe, who, who's blonde in this comic, by the way, been throwing me off. Uh, you know, gets Bumblebee back online at least a voice and a uh, one presumably brain section. Uh, you know, even as a kid, I, I assumed this was going to lead to uh, Goldbug, because I believe I, the Throttlebots were already on the shelves, and everyone, you know, the word was out. You know, like oh, Goldbug is a upgraded Bumblebee. So then we cut to uh, a Hawk finally confronting his uh, would-be girlfriend, the good senator, and uh, some, some some really good artwork here. You know, he kind of given her the, the the stank eye. You know, it's like I knew it. You've been messing with Cobra and Little Johnny and Gimpy Joe. You know, and he's just you know really reading her the riot act here. And I really really like this page here. So back at the arc fight, uh, Serpentor double crosses Dirge and blows him up. He is dead here. Completely gone, blown to smithereens. Uh, Serpentor uh, has double cross, is basically double crossing them, and he basically jammed his frequencies, and it, it makes no sense. I thought it was kind of a lame uh, little DOS X machina from uh, Mister Serpentor here. So uh, never, never bought that, but you know, whatever. Moving the uh, the story lo- storyline along. And we end the comic with uh, the Decepticons double cross going into effect, and uh, them launching the uh, the Alpha device uh, without Cobra's knowledge. Uh, Serpentor had kind of foreseen this, and he had already set up a meeting between himself, uh, the Joes, and the Autobots. You know, and uh, they are they get together and prepare as a uh, as some strange bedfellows to uh, fight the Decepticons in issue four. Uh, certainly, a uh, it was a weird issue to get dropped in on, you know, being a guy who read both comics, you know, pretty regularly. Seeing them, uh, you know, this is a lot of there's some plot lines from the comics brought in. Obviously, you know, Serpentor's in charge, Shockwave just took over, Optimus Prime just died. 
when they're trying to keep them reflected in all the comics, which is you know, always like that when they go out of their way to say, hey, this is all ongoing. But at the same time, like it has a bunch of internal uh, plot lines going on here that aren't in the other uh, comics. But anyway, a fun trip down memory lane. Uh, I, I like this uh, this issue. It, it is very strange, but uh, but I like it. I really like the art in here. I don't. I forgot how good it was. I'm sure uh, Ant will give it the props to uh, the artiste on this. And that's all the salty semen has got for now. And I'll catch you, freaks, on the flip side. Peace. And, of course, you can catch Gabe on his YouTube channel at youtube.com slash recharge138. So some of the things I feel like I should point out about this story. Uh, early on, we have Shockwave telling Ravage about how Alpha is going to um, destroy Earth with multiple natural disasters all happening simultaneously. This sounds a lot like the kid stuff books that we've covered in, in previous episodes. Also, some of the pages in this book have more text on them than most modern comics have in the entire book. There are definitely pages in this book that have more text than any single issue of the entire run of The Walking Dead. Also, I think funny here is at Optimus's funeral, the way they drew Omega Supreme looks like he has a handlebar mustache. It's very weird and very bizarre, and if I don't use it as the thumbnail for this episode, I am totally going to post it up on Twitter. So make sure you catch that at TFU underscore info. Also, Dirge is killed by Serpentor in the story. And Dirge will stay dead in the U.S. run until Generation 2. So he's pretty much going to stay dead for the rest of the U.S. series. And one thing I noticed, holy crap, Senator Larkin. Barry Lincoln. Is staying in room 213. Now, if you don't know, clearly it's just coincidence, but 213 is the uh, <laughs> is kind of an infamous number for uh, apartments and hotel rooms because that is the room uh, Jeffrey Dahmer had when he would lure men in to kill them. Now, Senator Larkin, certainly not a serial killer, but that scene seems to have a profound impact on our next contributor. So... For a little more on this story, I, I wanted to bring in someone from uh, my favorite G.I. Joe podcast, and that is uh, Chris McLeod from The Full Force. Hi there, I'm Chris McLeod, a.k.a. Diagnostic 80 from The Full Force podcast, and here's my favorite moment from the G.I. Joe and the Transformers 1987 Marvel Comics crossover event. As I'm sure Ant has already explained, we didn't get this particular story until 1990 in the United Kingdom, and even though you would think 9-slash-10-year-old McLeod would have been all over that, you would actually be very wrong indeed and you should feel ashamed of yourselves. I kid, of course. But as the story goes, I was only made aware of the existence of the four-parter much later in life and didn't read it in full until just a few years ago. Because of that, there is a minimal nostalgic connection and I do find it to be a little wonky, but putting that aside for now, I have to discuss my love for a particular aspect of the comic, which is the ever-so-out-of-character love story that develops throughout between General Hawk and the sassy Senator Larkin. From the off, there's an awkward flirtatious vibe that only increases in both flirtation and awkwardness, including the classic... I was just checking to make sure you weren't scared by coming to your hotel room alone, oh, and now you're pulling me in to make out and that. Move. Also, when Power Station Alpha takes off and it makes the place shake, Hawk says this after prizing his mouth off Larkin's lips. Well, either you're the world's greatest kisser, or something's happened to Power Station Alpha. 
I can tell you now that it was Power Station Alpha. Now my particular favourite part of the comic comes in issue 3 after the revelation that Larkin is working with Cobra, and when Hawk finds out, he slips into this ridiculous depression and we see a whole page of him desperately coming to terms with the betrayal in his socks, drinking whiskey and smoking a fag. Sorry, cigarette for you Murricans. You're a cigarette. It is the least General Hawk thing I've ever witnessed, and I'm glad I didn't see it as a kid because I feel as though his character would have been a little tarnished for me at that point. It just feels so wrong and totally unprofessional for Hawk to be fraternising with the Senator at the time where he's supposed to be protecting her and Power Station Alpha. Sure, go get your rocks off after the job has been done, but mixing business with pleasure with Transformers knocking around seems like a nightmare scenario to me. Having said that, I won't ruin the end now due to the nature of this episode, but that scene with Hawk basically crying in his drink has been etched into my very soul, and even though I should hate that, I find it strangely and hilariously awesome. Full force. Also, I like that the traffic cop issuing a ticket to Bumblebee in issue 1 looks like Sergeant Slammer slash Slaughter, depending on which part of the globe you were raised in. Okay, I'm done now. Now you can catch... Chris on his show, The Full Force. It's on YouTube. It's basically anywhere you listen to this podcast and, of course, on Twitter at The Full Force. It is a great, great G.I. Joe podcast. All sorts of news. They they keep every Chris keeps everything up to date. Uh, he fires off so many news bursts uh, that it's almost hard to keep up with them sometimes. Uh, I was on episode 300, speaking of crossovers, just recently, um, reviewing the first issue of Transformers versus the Terminator from IDW Comics. So if you want to hear more of me, swing on by that pod and give episode 300 a listen and, and stick around because Chris does great work. And that takes us to the final story in this four-issue limited series, All Fall Down. And this features a cover by Tom Morgan. He was the inker back on issue number 16 of the regular Transformers series. You can find more about that back in episode number 57 of this show. Now the Autobots, the Joes, and the Cobras are united, ready to take on the Decepticons, and there is a giant earthquake because Alpha is boring into the Earth. Shockwave orders Bombshell to kill Dr. Mindbender. And as he's about to, he gloats about wanting to use the Cerebro Show to have Dr. Mindbender rip himself apart. Just then, Bombshell is shot in the back by the Baroness. Baroness and Dr. Mindbender flee inside of a Rattler with Bombshell in Dr. Mindbender's pocket. At the Joe base, Ratchet arrives to repair Bumblebee. Mainframe calls him uh, Dr. Ratchet, and it is uh, misspelled in the text here with two T's at the end. So Dr. Ratchet gets to repairs on Bumblebee as the Baroness and Dr. Mindbender arrive. Mainframe, he's uh, working on figuring out what this little thing is that he found in Anthony Durante's head, uh, the Cerebro Shell, and it causes Bombshell to transform, which fortunately for Dr. Mindbender, he uh, put him on a shelf <laughs> right before that happened. Uh, that would have been bad if it was in, still in his pocket, right? Uh, and wow, remember I mentioned about a lot of text in the last issue? The next page where they break down the plan has so much text on it. It has probably has more text than art on it. We find out that Serpentor and Hawk are on a conference call. That's basically the gist of the page, and they have a sneak attack to destroy Power Station Alpha. Over at Joe headquarters, Bumblebee is uh, fixed 
They've repaired him. His face looks different. And he now wants to be called Goldbug because it is a name with more dignity and respect. What? There's no explanation to it. That's just what he says. He's like, I want a name with more dignity and respect. How about Goldbug? There's... When we get to covering this in the TV side, it's just as ridiculous, but there's not the ridiculous justification that we're seeing here. And Michael Higgins does nothing to kind of improve on this, where he we know he's certainly capable of flooding a page with text, doesn't bother to flood this thought process with any sort of backup. But... Moving on, Hawk unveils his plan. It's going to be Scarlet and the Baroness to intercept Alpha, and Goldbug will drive them there. In Phase 2, everyone is going to have an air assault on the Decepticon base. We see that happen, and the Decepticons send in Devastator, and they send Starscream and the Jets. Starscream and the Jets! Wait a minute, wait a minute. So, there's a couple issues with this. One... Thundercracker, Skywarp, and Starscream were all blown up in issue 19, which we covered back in episode 57, and they are all captives at the Autobot headquarters at the Ark. Uh, they were blown up by Omega Supreme. That's the first problem with this panel. <laughs> and uh, again, does nothing to address this, at least in the UK. Like, we saw everyone get broken out and eventually returned. Uh, they do nothing here to kind of mitigate that. Second, when the Jets take to the air, they, they list off five of these Seekers. They list off basically Starscream, Thundercracker, and Skywarp, and uh, Ramjet, and Thrust. No Dirge, because he's been blown up, so they were accurate there. But And they also list Laserbeak. Um, we don't see Laserbeak, but we see seven Seekers take off. So if you account for the five Seekers here, even if you count for Laserbeak, there's one extra. Uh, but there's two extras here, and we have no idea who they are. So feel free to fill in the blank with your favorite non main six seekers of your choice as to who the other two are now back at joe headquarters mainframe ratchet and dr mindbender plan to override alpha using a combination of the cerebro shell and dr mindbender's control helmet at the attack superion arrives to fight devastator this fight goes on for a bit and we find goldbug is off dropping those ladies off at power station alpha they climb up to it, and they plant the bombs. Just then, Dr. Mindbender shuts down Power Station Alpha and sends it off into the air. But Baroness has set those bombs to explode, though that wasn't the plan. Back at the Durante household, young Anthony sees it explode, and some things we should note here. Uh, one, for someone who just had brain surgery, he has all his hair back already. And somehow, it's blonde again. Also, Anthony's mom doesn't believe him that he saw something blow up in the sky. With Alpha, the MacGuffin, destroyed, Cobra withdraws, and the Autobots send the Joes home to get them out of further danger. I assume the Autobots flee here as well, and that is the end of the conflict, and pretty much the end of the story, but it leads to our epilogue. We find Hawk watching Senator Larkin's perp walk as she's being escorted to a limo uh, by MPs. We also see the sights of a gun circle around her and she 
is assassinated, proper use of that word this time, by a Cobra gunman as the Baroness watches off in the distance. We end with Hawk visiting Larkin's grave. And that wraps up G.I. Joe and the Transformers. This story is so, I don't know, disjointed. Like, for, for there's a, lots of text. There's explanations of some things and not of others. And the things that are explained aren't explained very well. Uh, like the plan to, to take out Alpha. And this whole story just doesn't sit well with me. It's, it's a bad first attempt at a G.I. Joe and Transformers crossover. Something that I feel like, I don't know if it was rushed or what. Or maybe Michael Higgins just wasn't a good writer. At the time, I, it just it's not a good book overall. It's certainly skippable. I'll say that. It's also very readable if you just want to watch a car crash. So that said, if you want to pick it up, I will put a link in the show notes uh, to Amazon to pick up a trade on this. And that will wrap up this episode of Transformers University. Now, of course, there are so many ways to keep up with the show, be part of the show. I'm just going to list them off. I'm going to leave it to you to go and check them out. Want to help contribute? Two easiest ways. Patreon.com slash TFU info. Sign up today. Or TFU.info slash Amazon. This way, if you're buying your toilet paper or whatever else you need, they kick back a few pennies our way. Want to keep up with me? Twitter at TFU underscore info. Facebook.com slash TFU info. Instagram.com slash TFU info. And of course, the YouTube channel. YouTube.com slash TFU info. Website updates are coming along nicely. I'm working on 2003 in getting that into order. There are a lot of toys in that year. Holy crap. That said, I'm about halfway through. Uh, maybe a little less than halfway through. Uh, but I finished all the Autobots. Now I just got to do all the Decepticons and all of the Minicons. But through 2002 is up on the site. www.tfu.info World's longest running Transforming Toy Archive. Next time on the show, we're still staying in 1986. We're going to start really wrapping up our coverage of that year. And we're going to dive into two topics that we don't really have a lot for one episode, but together they do make one episode. And that is the online fandom in 1986 and Transformers merchandise around the world. It was the year of the movie. There's a lot of merchandise. And I'm going to just touch on a few of the more interesting ones and a few of the more long-lasting impressions from that year. So until next time, I'm your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info. See ya.